our last lesson. We're on page 53, and we're going to be on Hebrews chapter number 12. We've been in Hebrews 11 the entire time, and so we're finishing with Hebrews 12, just a few verses in there. And of course, when the Bible was written, there weren't chapter and verses, but chapter and verses is very good for us to navigate through, so I'm glad for chapter and verses. But really, 11 continues into chapter 12, and so what we have is we have, and I apologize if you don't have a book, I'm out of books, but we, this is our last lesson. We'll start new books, uh, not next Sunday, because next Sunday we have our special evangelist speaking for us next week, and so special speakers, so thank you. We will not have our regular Sunday school time uh, within the book, but then two weeks from now we'll begin a brand new series, and so we'll hand those out uh, next week. But anyhow, um, Hebrews chapter 12 and chapter 11, we've been in the whole chapter 11 this whole time, the last 12 weeks, and here we are now finishing up with the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews chapter 12. And so what Hebrews chapter 12 is really just kind of uh, recapping everything that Hebrews 11 is all about, and we end with Christ. That's where we end as we talk about faith. And so um, as I'm reading from the book, I'll read here, and then we'll talk about it. Page 53, all eyes are upon the Lord Jesus. We come now to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. There is no greater subject to consider than the person of Jesus Christ. And so we and we saw back in Hebrews 11 verse 1, uh, faith was described for us, and faith is described as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the description of faith. But now we have faith defined for us, and faith defined is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so that's, that is how we maintain and how we continue on in faith, as we continue to look unto Christ. The Lord Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the beginner and the ender. He is the Alpha and Omega, Alpha being the first letter of the alphabet and Omega being the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so he is the beginning and the end. And uh, he's the one that began our faith and he is the one that will complete us. And so life is compared then to a race when you look at these verses. So we see verses one and two of Hebrews 12. Wherefore, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we see this this analogy of a race like the Olympics and, and during Paul's lifetime, and I think Paul probably wrote Hebrews, we know that Paul used athletic sports in another passage to show um, illustration. And so I think Paul's using the illustration of a coliseum or a, a stadium and people running a race. And so we are compassed. That idea of compassed is a compass. It's a circular. We're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the cloud indicating up in the sky or heaven. And so I think what we have here is what we, we have the stadium and the crowd being all the people we just read about in chapter 11. All those people that are now in heaven, the people of faith that died before us, now they are the in the grandstands. They're no longer running the race. They've finished their race. They're in heaven. And they're in heaven looking down on you and I that are still running our race and cheering us on. And uh, so we have this great cloud of witnesses uh, seeing we're compassed about 
staring down at us and cheering us on and watching us run our race. So then it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. and Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so we see that illustration being being used here. Life is compared to a race, and the arena for this race is this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth as a man without ceasing to be God, and he finished his course. He demonstrated how to run your race on earth. He suffered and bled and died for our sins. He was buried and rose from the dead. He ascended on high and became our example in faith. And so that's why it says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so um, we go to page 54, and my first point today is Christ is our goal. And so as I just said to you a minute ago, I'm going to repeat, those witnesses in chapter 11 are now watching and cheering us on. And so, uh, and, 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 and could, could we just also include then all the other Christians that have died since then that we know, maybe people that we even know, people that were used to be part of our church that died and, and uh, are in heaven today. They're also watching us run our race. And they've finished theirs. And um, by the way, when a race starts, there's usually uh, a sound like a gunshot or something that goes off, and that's the beginning, and you've only got that amount of time. And then once you cross the finish line, your time is done. And that is an illustration of our life, and we only have so much time. These people in the grandstands are out of time. They can't run the race anymore. Uh, and, and believe you me, every one of us would love to rerun it because we probably learned from our mistakes and would run it better. But they now are cheering us on and and hoping that we will use their life. They're not at all ashamed. For instance, Rahab the harlot is mentioned in chapter 11. She's not ashamed of, of Rahab the harlot in the Bible because she's an example of of how we can be encouraged to run our race and to, and to find the answers as she did and to find Christ. And so these people are cheering us on. See, we're all on the same team. We're all the same family. We're all going to end up in the same place someday and so um, the goal is Christ and it says we lay aside every weight and if you know anything about running and training for a race uh, they like to wear weights when they're training but when the actual race takes place they the weights are then laid aside and and so here we have in like manner in our race of life we need to lay aside weights and by the way we're not just training we're running this is the race and so uh, we need to, I mean, it'd be dumb to show up on race day with training weights on your ankles. Well, you and I are on race day every day. This is our race. And we're to run it. And we're to run it with patience. And we're to lay aside the weight in our lives. Um, there's lots of examples. The one that always comes to my mind, and I know some of you have heard me say this before, but Brother Bill, you know, he comes here every year for vacation Bible school. In fact, I think last year, the year before, uh, our theme was running a race. And one thing about Brother Bill that I found out years ago, it's June, right? We always have our vacation Bible school in June. And, uh, I mean, we always have root beer floats. And we always have people bring food in. And, and there's almost always dessert of some kind. And usually someone brings ice cream. And, and uh, throughout the week, someone's getting ice cream somewhere. And Brother Bill said, I don't eat ice cream during the summer. Can I tell you something? The best time to eat ice cream is in the summer. 
January is okay too, but not as good as in the summer. Most people really, really, really like ice cream, and more ice cream uh, businesses are open in the summer. I don't eat ice cream. Why don't you eat ice cream? Because every week I go from church to church, and several hours of the day I am speaking and talking and raising my voice, and I am constantly using my voice. And if I eat ice cream, it affects my throat. It ruins it. I mean, by next week, I'll have problems, and it just, it'll just, he said, I can't have it. He, and, and if you catch him eating ice cream, it's because he's, he's violated his own rule. Now, can I ask you a question? Is ice cream a sin? It's not a sin. By itself, ice cream is not a sin. <clears throat> but it's a weight for him. Because he cannot be as effective. And if you know Brother Bill in Vacation Bible School, it's pretty effective. But he cannot be effective if he doesn't have a voice. I mean, that's probably one of the most important things he's got to have. And so he realizes that the race requires I don't eat ice cream. And athletes and anybody serious will give up all kinds of things that would not necessarily be wrong to eat. But for them and their race, it is not going to help them. And so... The illustration is about Brother Bill and his ice cream. Well, let's talk about us. What is it that... So wait, it really is a sin in an indirect way. I can't tell anybody in this room that ice cream is wrong. Shame on you if you have it in your freezer. Bring it all over to me and I'll put it in my freezer. But we understand that individually, personally, there are weights. There are things that are weights for us. And that's part of understanding the race of the Christian life. We ne we need to recognize that maybe something isn't a weight for someone else, but it is a weight for us. And and then it goes on. Uh, it says, run the with patience the race, laying aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. So let me read from the book again. Uh, we lay aside the weights. It's getting our eyes on the Son of God and looking to him that encourages us to lay aside the weights. See, we, we have to focus on a goal. Why would an athlete or anybody give up ice cream? Why would anybody give up eating pizza? Why would anybody get, because they've got a goal, man. They've got something that, I, I think it's better now, Joseph. they got something that they are, they want to win. And then in order to win that, they've got to give up this. And so they're just disciplining themselves. Um, maybe a father really, really, really loves boating, fishing. But he's a father, and his goal is to raise his children well more than it is to win the fishing tournament or to spend all the time on the boat or the money on the boat. I can't tell you it's a sin if you own a boat. But it might be a weight that's keeping you from being what you should be or could be. And so notice what it says here. Looking to him that encourages us to lay aside the weights, you may battle something in your life that hinders you from being your best for Christ. I mean, most people, most average 
Christian people show up to church Sunday, maybe Sunday night, maybe Wednesday night. They might even help with vacation Bible school, but they're not necessarily going to go week and week, 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 and going to all different churches and doing vacation Bible schools. But in order for Brother Bill to do that, in order for him to do it and be at his best, he's got to give up some of the weights that beset him. And that is a good illustration because we see him every year and so we can visualize that. And the same thing with you and I. If we just want to be average and we don't really care if we do our best, then we're never going to give up any weight. But when we recognize that our best is being hindered because of a weight, the weight's got to go even if it isn't really a technical sin. That is a weight which needs to be let aside if it's keeping you from your best. I just want you to think about that. I think that's a huge point to make. And I think all of us have that. I think God has goals for us that we won't ever achieve unless we recognize that that is the best. That's better than just my rights or what I can do, but what God would have me to do. Then it says, the word of God continues. And the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now there's some things that are just, there's no, it's a no-brainer, there's no argument. It's just sin, it's wrong. It's not just personally wrong or personally awake, but it's just sin. And all of us are troubled by besetting sins. The race we are in demands we lay aside weights and that we confess our sins. That we take care of what we, we already know that, and, and, and obviously sin is a weight. But it not, it, it isn't just a, a weight, it's, it's, it's just wrong for everybody. And we ought to not even have any argument or debate about that. But when we just focus on him, it clears this up. I mean, that's just the answer. Instead of, well, what does Pastor Matt think about this? Hey, Pastor Matt's not, it doesn't say looking unto Pastor Matt. It doesn't say that. Well, what does the rest of the church people think? It doesn't, no, looking unto Jesus. You look, you look unto Jesus and you get close to him, you'll figure out what it is he doesn't want you to have. It just becomes real clear. And we're to run with patience the race that is set before us. We can run without becoming weary if we'll learn to be patient and wait on the Lord. We, uh, we sing that song. We didn't sing it this morning, but Isaiah forty thirty one. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The wonderful thing about this race is you don't have to be the fastest one. You remember the story of the tortoise and the hare? The hare is way faster than the, than the turtle. But, but winning isn't necessarily being the fastest. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, um, it, it, it says something interesting, kind of along those lines, and I'll just try to get there. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11. It says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. It's not It's not about who's the fastest necessarily or who's the strongest. We need to recognize that we our strength comes from the Lord, and that's why it says in Isaiah 40, 31, if you want to go there, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I think a lot of people start out the Christian life race and they know it's a race and they want to do their best, but they're not willing to shed the weight or they're not willing to go through the discipline. And so all of a sudden when they see, boy, I'm just not as good at this, or I can run for 100 yards pretty fast, but after that I really have problems. I just can't breathe and I'm just, and, and all of a sudden you start to get exposed. 
I was always pretty good at sprinting because sprinting is just whoosh. But this this person right here wasn't built for long distance. I mean, sprint, okay, but long distance, oh, man, I'm going to have to shed some weight if I'm going to do long distance. Now you're getting personal. Now we're talking discipline, right? And and that is the illustration spiritually. Well, I can keep up with everybody else if it's just a sprint, but all of a sudden, no, this this race is a long haul. This is a lifetime race. This isn't just looking good for a little while, at little spurts of time. This is every day. This is running. And so what it does is it reveals the the lack of discipline or character we have in our own life. And so running with patience. And along the way in this race, it's the great race. It's not just a quick race. It is a long race. And all of a sudden, the Lord is saying, hey, we, we've got some issues here. And so we need to uh, go into the in the pit crew and have you work, get a little work on here and get some things taken care of. And we learn to run with patience the race that is set before us. And the goal is always Jesus Christ. The goal is always God, and our eyes need to be upon him, looking unto him. And so uh, Christ is our goal. And um, by the way, we run the race straight when we keep our eyes focused. I've heard that um, the best thing you can do when you run is never to look back at somebody else. Don't look Don't look this way. Don't look that way. Have you ever seen the, the videos of... of of a race where a guy he's almost to the finish line and he turns he turns to look just as the competition runs by him you know i've you can find that on video it's it's quite an illustration but we, we don't need to be looking back or looking to the side as soon as you turn to look you don't run as straight as you used to farmers say in the old days i think before gps they used to just fix their eyes onto an object on the other side of the field and then plow as straight as they could towards that object. And as long as they just kept looking at the object, they pretty much had a straight row. But when you're looking around, you don't have a straight row. And you're wasting time and you're not getting it done like it should be done. And so um, it doesn't matter what someone else in the room or someone else in the church is doing. It doesn't matter who's doing this or who's doing that. The focus needs to be on Christ. He is the goal. We're running our race with patience, and we're keeping our eyes focused on him. And then notice, Christ is the God-man. This is the wonderful thing about Jesus, is he became human for us. And we just celebrated that a few weeks ago. Verse 2, uses the name Jesus. And I've told you before that Jesus is the human name. Joshua in the Old Testament is the same as Jesus. Jesus wasn't really that uncommon of a name uh, back then. It is more uncommon today because of the Bible. But Jesus was just the human name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's only one of those. Uh, but he uses the name Jesus here, looking unto Jesus. But why? Because that's the humanity of Christ. Uh, we can't ever chase the, the perfection of, uh, you know, of, of Messiahship. We can never chase that. But we can at least relate to the humanity of Christ. And we can relate to the fact that he was a human like us, yet without sin. And so he uses the name Jesus, and we are dealing with the humanity of our Lord. And remember, he was the, both the Son of Man and the Son of God, yet all the same person. God became a man without ceasing to be God. And we must not speak of the humanity of Christ to the neglect of his deity. Of course, he was always God. He's always Christ. But we do consider his humanity here. He expressed faith in the Father, and he led by example that he prayed. The Lord prayed to the Father. And he teaches us. So when we look to Jesus, let's look to the example that he's giving. 
did he run the race? Yes, he did. So let's look at how he ran the race. And he expressed his faith in the Father. His prayers were real prayers. He prayed by faith. His pain was real pain. He felt real pain. He felt real sorrow and real hurt uh, and real brokenheartedness. He endured suffering by faith. His disappointments were real disappointments. He dealt with those disappointments all by faith. That's how we're to handle it. His death was real death. He faced death with faith in God. He, he, you can see before he died that he was agonizing at the idea of the death. It was going to be real. I mean, that's just a human thing for us to not want to die. All right? It's, it's just something that we have as human beings. So he fought these things, and he fought them with faith, and, of course, he fought them perfectly. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is, it's also in Luke chapter 4, but Matthew chapter 4 is the story of Jesus being tempted. Temptation is not a sin. It's what you do with temptation that's the sin. In Matthew chapter 4, it says in verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, to be tested by the devil. The only difference between Jesus' temptations and ours is that he passed his all 100%. <coughs> and verse 2, When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. <laughs> That's probably the most understatement you'll ever read right there. 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. Yeah, I'd be more than hungry. I'd be chewing on rocks. I mean, I would be absolutely out of my mind if I had to fast even a week, let alone 40 days. And yet he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he is demonstrating the power to overcome it. And if you know the story, when Satan comes to him and tempts him with bread, Verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then again, and if you have a Bible with red letters, you'll notice verse 7's got red letters in it, and then verse 10's got red letters in it, just like verse 4. And you know what's interesting? Verse 4, verse 7, verse 10 are all quotes from Deuteronomy. What did Jesus demonstrate when he fought Satan in the temptation? You need the Bible. You need to use the word of God to fight off temptation. If you'll remember what Jesus said concerning lust and adultery, about adultery in your heart and lusting, it will surely help you. If you'll, that's why David said, thy word have I hid in my heart. And for, unfortunately, David didn't always follow that. But thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is why the very word of God needs to be your most powerful and most accessible weapon. I think a lot of us own guns, but let's be honest, some of us don't necessarily carry them. But if you own a Bible and don't carry it, it's the same thing. In other words, if you don't have it on you, and I don't just mean in your hand, but in your heart, you're not going to be ready for when the devil comes. And I promise you, you need the Bible more than you need a gun. And you need to have it on you and have it ready to go. This is why when we do Bible sword drills and we do Bible memory and we do all the things that we do with the Sunday school time, it's not just for kids. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And if we're going to look unto Jesus, we need to recognize that Jesus knew the word. Of course, Jesus was the word. But he didn't just say any old thing. He quoted the Deuteronomy, I think, for a reason, to prove to us that's the answer. That's how you fight Satan is you quote 
you quote scripture to the devil. And I'm going to tell you right now, the devil can't argue scripture. He can't get around that. That's the sword of the Lord. That's the word of God, the sword of God. And so he quoted scripture. And as we um, do our addictions program on Wednesday or Friday nights, that's what we're going to have to understand is, <clears throat> is the key to all of this is to know the answers from the Bible and to go to the Bible and quote the word of God to defeat Satan. So if we're going to live by faith, then we must follow the example of Jesus Christ. As believers, we're to deal with life just as the Lord Jesus dealt with life, and that is by faith, trusting in the word of God and trusting in God. And uh, there's some other passages that I want to mention. Um, Psalm 16, 8, and then Proverbs chapter 3. Psalm 16, I have these written in the margin of my book, Psalm 16 and verse 8, and then Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Wouldn't it be awful if you're more, you're, you have a gun more accessible at your right hand than you do the word of God? You're missing the point. I, I do believe in self-defense, but don't forget there's a spiritual battle that's a whole lot bigger than any fleshly battle we got going on here. And so we need the word of God at our right hand. And then Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In temptation, don't try some smart idea or some clever person's idea, but just use the word of God. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And so... In Hebrews 11, the Lord referred to the example of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Moses' parents and Gideon and Samson and David, Rahab the harlot, and all the other people we talked about in Hebrews 11. We are to turn away from all those now. Doesn't mean we're not to use the word of God and read what they said, but we're not to necessarily just look at those individuals, but look only unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every one of those individuals has recorded mistakes in the Bible. And, and we're, we're to recognize now the focus is to look on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this book is called Hebrews because it's calling the Hebrew people, the Jews, to not just look to Abraham. And boy, they look to Abraham. I mean, they worship Abraham, Father Abraham. However, it's to now look to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what Father Abraham did. He looked to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's who we're to look to. You remember... Several years ago, there was WWJD, those four initials, WWJD, and there was necklaces, WWJD, bumper stickers, WWJD. What does WWJD stand for? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Now, it's not a bad little idea, and it comes from an old book that I read when I was a teenager called In His Steps, which is out of Peter, where it says that we should follow in his steps. All right? The problem with what would Jesus do is the wood part because wood leaves you up to the decision maker of what you think Jesus would do your imagination of what Jesus would do so it shouldn't be WWJD it should be W D J D because what did Jesus do we have a book that tells us what he did we don't have to wonder what he did it isn't what would Jesus this is what's wrong with the there's new. There's a new Jesus uh, movie series coming out, very popular, uh, but it's popular with Mormons and Catholics too. 
and it's a lot of imagination and and uh, inserts into other things about what would Jesus do or how do you think Jesus might have been, and and it 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 lends itself to let's have an imaginary Jesus. We don't need to imagine Jesus. We have a Bible that tells us. All right, we have the very Word of God. We believe that. I know a lot of Christians don't believe we have a perfect Bible anymore. So I don't have to say what would. I can say what did Jesus do, all right? And and so with that in mind, it says looking unto Jesus, not looking unto your imagination of Jesus or how you perceive he probably was, but looking unto Jesus, the scriptural, biblical Jesus. Someone just yesterday, it was Dave Linville. He was here last night. They were cleaning the building. He said, Pastor, I, I heard a new one. He said, um, Someone was, uh, a neighbor of mine who's a Christian was asking a coworker about about salvation and about the Savior. And the coworker said, well, I worship God the Father and I worship Mother Earth and I worship God the Son, who is his brother. The Bible warns us that there is another Jesus and another gospel. Don't get caught up when someone says, oh yeah, I, I worship Jesus. No, looking unto the Jesus of the Bible. All right, the biblical Jesus, and uh, otherwise, there's there's lots of goofy things out there. So so with that, I just mentioned that passage. Let's go to First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, and verse twenty one. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps that's where that old book came from in his steps but in his steps is what the word of god teaches not just an imaginary of what we think jesus would do in a situation who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree and so we can we can stop there because i think we've read enough but uh, he are, is our example, and we need to follow his steps. He ran the race before us, and now we can run looking unto him completely. Do not misunderstand. Christ is more than just an example. He's our Savior. But he did provide the perfect example of the faith life. And this is why we should be looking unto Jesus, as it says. Go back there in Hebrews chapter 12, a few pages back from where we're at just now. Let's finish what it says in verse 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. That's good for me personally. I tell you what. Pastoring would be easy if it wasn't for people. People is what makes pastoring hard. And when I when I look at Jesus Christ, and I and there's people. Moses was Moses was a leader. I mean, there's people in in in, in the Bible that were leaders that had to deal with people. But Jesus is the one who did it with flying colors. Consider him that endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. 
consider Christ and how did he deal? Now, did Jesus have some real characters in his early church? Peter was a character. Judas was a traitor. He was a fake. He was a false, a false professor. I don't believe Judas was a Christian. Jesus washed Peter's feet and Judas's feet the night before he was crucified. Peter, in a few hours after getting his feet washed, were going to, was going to curse him and say, I never knew him. Judas was going to sell him and betray him and plant a fake kiss on him. Uh, consider him, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You know? And, and look unto Jesus. So, so in my life, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? How should I be in this moment? What should I be doing? How do I respond? Did Jesus rebuke? Yes. I think, I didn't listen to the sermon, but I think Joshua preached about James and John, the sons of thunder. Jesus rebuked them for wanting to just zap people. Um, he rebuked them, rebuked them sharply, but he still loved them. It's wrong when someone says pastors are never supposed to rebuke. The Bible tells us otherwise. But Jesus also loved in the rebuke. And and these things are all things there for us to look at. And Jesus was the first pastor. He started the first church. And it obviously has multiplied and grown into many churches. But the point is, is that he is my example as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. Husbands, love your wives, as we preached last Sunday, as Christ loved the church. Well, how does Christ love the church? With a whole, whole bunch more forgiveness and toleration and love than we usually demonstrate. So these are examples, all this. And of course, he is called the word, and so everything in here really is from him. And all of it is for our learning and, and understanding and to follow. Uh, so the Lord set a, the example for us, and we are to look unto Jesus, the author, the leader, the example. This is the way he lived, and it is the way God expects us to live. Um, and then notice it says here in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, he endured the cross, despising the shame. They laughed at him. They made fun of him. <coughs> they said, if you're really God, come on down and just do your thing, man. I mean, and could he? He could have called 10,000 angels. He hung there naked. I mean naked. There wasn't a little loincloth. He was naked. He despised the shame. He had to despise the fact that he, a holy God who made the universe, who could at any moment declare you or I or anyone to be dead and zapped with lightning and squished like a bug, and yet he endured all that without zapping anyone. In fact, he even took time to turn to one guy who used to be cursing him and say, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And would have offered it to the other guy had the other guy wanted it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy. Why did he do it? Because he could see behind all this, he's going to have a whole bunch of joy. Dying on the cross is going to result in the salvation of multitudes.
and he will he focused on the joy he focused on the joy that would come not the shame and the suffering he focused on what what's going to come after and so there's our example why do we put up with this why do we do what we do and people just spit on us or whatever because the joy's coming later and so we we endure and we trust uh, the Lord that it will come later and Jesus of course is our example in that so he taught us how to face death um, when Stephen was being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7 and all Stephen did was preach the sermon and they hated him for it Stephen looked to Jesus he could see Jesus up in heaven and he said I see Jesus and they just were angry at him and, and just picking up rocks and just smashing his body with those rocks but Stephen faced death with joy. And he said, Lord, into thy hands I receive my spirit and, I, and lay not this sin to their... He's forgiving the people who are killing him because he's looking unto Jesus. It's the only way you can, it's the only way you can die like that is to consider him and keep your eyes focused on the Lord. <clears throat> look away from all others and look only unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I'm preaching this to myself as I am to anyone else today, but this is how we end our topic of faith is running our race, recognizing and being encouraged by the great cloud of witnesses in the, in the grandstands who have learned their lessons by running their race and are now cheering us on, and we have their example. And I love the fact that we have the Old Testament. Wouldn't it be horrible if we didn't have the Old Testament? The Old Testament shows us, hey, you can, you can do this, and it will be a blessing. I mean, I love the fact that there's a story about Abraham taking his son and being a, ready to just plunge the knife into him. And God stopping him and saying, I just was testing you. I love the fact that there's a story about a guy named Job who was put through a horrible test as well, and yet God was showing him and, and using him to show Satan in the world that you just trust me and I'll prove that I am true and you'll come forth as gold. I love the fact that we've got Old Testament examples and these people of faith who just hung on to God when nothing else was making any sense because that's the way life is. It's the way you and I are running our race right now. And there's times where it's like, I don't understand it, but I'm going to do the right thing instead of the easy thing. And I'm going to do the hard thing instead of the average thing. And I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to lay aside these weights. Nobody would blame me if I didn't lay aside the weights, but I'm going to lay aside the weights because I want what I know I can have if I'll lay aside the weights. And that's how we look unto Jesus. And that's why we look unto him because he's the perfect example. So, we look to him and not anyone else. We don't look to the pastor. You look to the pastor, you'll be disappointed. You look to anyone else, your own spouse, you'll be disappointed. But you look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the answer. Let's pray, and we'll stop today. And like I said, next Sunday we'll have a guest speaker, and then the Sunday after that we'll pick up. I do believe that we'll, our new series will be on the life of Joseph, one of my favorite people in the Bible. I just love the life of Joseph. Um, what a what a what a great example! And we we're familiar with him, but to go thirteen lessons, uh, one week at a time, just looking through his life, I think will be encouraging as well. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for. We first thank you for the gift of salvation, which then gives us the ability to exercise this faith that we have, and this faith that gives us access to winning, and to crossing the finish line, and to having. Uh, the ability to lay aside weight and to achieve the goals that you have.
for us. Help us to run with patience and help us to recognize the need for patience. To wait on you when when it just seems so unfair and the race seems to be not equal and, and altered and, and, and just not fair. And help us to continue to run with patience and to follow you and to look to you. And that we would encourage others to do the same. Not to look to us or to anyone else, but to look to you. And that we would ask and remind ourselves, what did Jesus do? And help us to follow that example. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.